0: Nope. Do you, anyone else want to follow that? <laughs> anyone? 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 Aaron. <laughs> Man, it's so good to see all of you. Uh, what, a, what an incredible day, uh, an emotional day. And uh, I, I had the opportunity uh, today to watch the, the film Normie. Uh, it, and if you guys haven't seen it yet, if you you weren't in the first viewing of it, I so encourage you to, to watch that film and not because I'm in it, because I actually never saw it till today. Uh, I met Kurt Neal, the the director, last year at Mockingbird, uh, and after my concert, he said, I, I think you need to be in a film, and I, I just don't know how to say no to people, so I just said yes. And uh, he brought a crew up to Portland, and uh, it was a couple days of just a very powerful experience of, of uh, being What I say is Kurt's a director, but really, he's a psychologist who made me work through my brokenness in very new ways that was a a very profound experience. Uh, And in watching the film today, I was so overwhelmed uh, with the power of God's ability uh, to make himself known most clearly in our brokenness, uh, in our limitations, uh, in our suffering. I actually had a message that I was going to share with you. Uh, Mockingbird, for me, this was my first exposure to it was last year, uh, and after the the conference, of course, being a voracious reader, I went back and read everything that was recommended by Mockingbird, and uh, and I'm actually in the process of becoming an Episcopalian priest. No, I'm not. I'm just <laughs> a, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, I. The message of grace is a message. Portland's a very different city. I mean, you guys, it's not, it's not text, it's not the Bible Belt. It has its, it has its own, its own uniqueness. It's, it's a truly post-Christian city. It's, it's not a, it's, it, uh, the, the, the secular religion is the religion of Portland. Uh, my son is the only Christian uh, in his high school that he knows of. Uh, this is a unique place. I mean, we're the city of of the lo- world's largest naked bike ride, okay? I mean, this is where we, as a family, go out on the front porch in June to watch the law of gravity take place in, in front of us. It's a, it's a powerful experience. Uh, the reality of death is one that, you know, the, the death rate continues to be one per person, and it is in full view on these bicycles. Uh, this is a, this is a, a city where it, it's a city of, of pleasure and a city of of extreme brokenness, but what I have found is that it's a city where in the midst of this kind of oppressive, overwhelming, self-conscious coolness. Even listening to David talk today, honestly, him giving these incredible observations of where we're at as a culture and the religion that we create, it started giving me a panic attack because I live in the heart of that. When he said, weirder things are coming, oh, they've come. (laughs) <laughs> they exist. Uh, the ways that we create uh, means of existence. How can I exist? I would say the hardest thing in life is to live well, and that's a, that's a reality. But here's the thing: what I, I want to talk to you about, because this is this is what the Lord put on my heart in watching that film. As I was watching Emory talk about her loneliness, having Down syndrome, and even watching the footage of me talking to her across the table and being put in this incredibly uh, humbling position to explain to her as a pastor why she's experiencing what she's experiencing, which obviously can't be done. All it did was reveal to me my own brokenness, my own desperate need for Jesus each and every moment. And, and, and it showed me this powerful thing, this, this verse kept coming to mind and it, it was, and this is the verse I'm gonna just share with you. And then I'm gonna gonna talk about this reality. It's Isaiah 45, three, and and I'm gonna, man, for those of you who are like all about just really sound exegesis, I'm gonna tear this right out of context, okay? So, uh, God actually talking about how he's going to use Cyrus, this evil king, as an instrument uh, in the life of Israel. And it's fascinating. I mean, there's so much strange stuff in this because he says, of Cyrus, that he's his anointed one, which I, I don't even totally know what that means. Uh, but I do know this, that he says in verse three, he says, I will give you treasures of darkness. I will give you treasures of darkness. And, and during the film, I kept f- having that verse occur in my mind again and again. And, and, and there's a scene where she is watching the eclipse of the sun. In the beginning of the film, she is yelling at the sun, I love the sun, I want to be the sun. And, and, and she's like, don't give up. She kept saying to the sun, don't give up as the, as the eclipse happened and the, and the sun is shrinking. Don't give up. But then at the end of the film, the eclipse happens and she sees the beauty of it because it didn't give up. And the treasure of darkness, it, it comes over, but it creates this new beautiful thing. And then the sun starts to come back out and that's the end of the film, so so profound. I just can't even tell you how beautiful this was. But I started to think about my own life and the points at which grace has intersected with me the, the most intensely and, and I think about the ways that Jesus has revealed himself. And so I'll just share with you this story because this is the thing. How, first of all, do you even define we call it? This is all about grace, but what, how do you even define it? Do we just use Paul Zoll's definition that grace is God's one-way love toward us? I, I think that's a very good definition. I use it all the time in sermons and usually give him credit for it. <laughs> You know, when you use something so often that you assimilate it, I'm terrified at the process of writing a book because I'll realize that I plagiarized the whole thing as a preacher. Uh, (laughs) But I actually think that Karl Barth actually might have given us maybe the best definition of grace, and that was just simply Emmanuel. God with us. God with us in Jesus. But where do we experience that the most fully? Let me just share with you, you a story. When I started Dwarf Hope with Darcy, uh, my lovely wife, who's here with me this week, it was actually 10 years ago in May. The first week of May, Dwarf Hope will be 10 years old. And, and we started this church from scratch. And, and, and my heart was this: all I knew, listen, I don't have a seminary background. It's very intimidating to get up here and follow just these incredible communicators and to be a part of this, and in, in, it's a humbling experience. But I always say that my greatest attribute as a preacher is just that I really actually love Jesus. I actually relate. I am the kid who likes to jump on the bed and tell people about Jesus. I am Will Ferrell, an elf, when he busts in. He says, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows. I just, I'm like, that's a pretty compelling quality. When you really love someone, it's not cliche to talk about it. And Jesus so radically grabbed a hold of my life, at 28 years old, that I, I, I fell in love, and I didn't care about. I didn't. I had to talk about it because I've always had the gift of monologue, uh, and God has the ability to redeem that past. You know, right? And, and so so this is the thing. When we, when the church began, the, the whole thing was, we just want to reach, we just want Darcy and I, she came to faith two years after me. So we were later in life, we knew what we were getting into. We knew, first of all, that following Jesus, he, he says, follow me. And he oh, man, it's an amazing thing in the Gospels. He never tells us where he's going. But that's what, it can either be a terrifying experience, which it is often, or it could be the most exciting adventure ever if we have faith like little children. And why would God even say, Come to me, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I would argue that God makes no demand upon us that is not first true of himself. And for Jesus to say, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven, he's saying that there's something childlike in the very heart of God, something beautiful. A God who is filled with wonder at actually the opportunity for you to know his love and to be known by him. And and that experience actually became sort of the catalyst for bringing the gospel to a a people, these young millennials, that actually never heard the gospel before in their lives. And what we found was that Jesus was a compelling message. People wanted to know who he was, that God's love. I realized this powerful doctrine of election started to even come to clarity in my mind, that God's love is elective. He chooses to love sinners in their sin. Wow. Wow that's a choice we always turn it into who's in and who's out I see it as God's freedom to meet me in my brokenness and you in your brokenness and and the gospel was being preached at door of hope in the first couple of weeks and we were so excited and and I had two friends two dear friends come to faith a friend Craig and his wife uh, and, and they they both and this is so uh, Craig and Catherine were amazing they're both pediatricians really respected pediatricians in, in, uh, in Portland and, um, and they came to faith. They, they discovered that Jesus loved them and gave their life to Christ. And so I just accepted his grace and were just radically transformed. And they were, you know, they were in their late 30s. Uh, and, and six months into their journey of grace, God gave the most unexpected treasure of darkness. On, I think it was New Year's Day, 2010, Craig woke up in the middle of the night, or Catherine was woke up by Craig in the middle of the night, Craig having a full-blown seizure, and her being a doctor, she knew, okay, my husband's 40 years old, like something serious is going on. So she takes him to the hospital, and they discover a a golf ball-sized tumor in his frontal lobe. And he's, he's got this cancer that is not curable, and they give him two to five years to live. But, but Craig actually lived exactly five years. And here's the thing, this is so fascinating. This is such a picture of like, how the gospel should impact us like little children. And Sarah, thank you for that message, it was so beautiful. I go to visit Craig in the hospital after they remove that tumor, and I'm, I mean, this is my first experience with someone in my community as a young pastor that's gonna die. Never been, I've never experienced that before. And, and honestly, I hadn't really lost anyone that I loved yet. My wife has gone through incredible loss. I think one of the things that made me fall in love with her is that by the time I met her, she had lost her best friend to leukemia, her only sibling to AIDS, and her grandfather to a massive heart attack. And I think I realized, I look back on it, those were treasures of darkness in a way that God utilized such incredible suffering to give her the capacity to love like Jesus loves. But man, we are a pain avoidant people, are we not? We believe we're gonna live forever. We do. There is, that, that book, The Denial of Death, is worth reading, by the way. Because we have this, this sense that, that we're gonna escape this somehow. My dad is dying right now in Alaska of severe alcoholism. He caught his face on fire smoking a cigarette with his oxygen mask on uh, just a couple weeks ago and he's like, I'm gonna kick this deal. He might be the only guy that doesn't die because the guy literally, my weathered Willie Nelson dad, is he has the ability to survive. But there is this, this unwillingness to accept the reality. And our avoidance of pain actually creates a certain shallowness and, and uh, an insipid quality to existence. But when we actually enter into it, as Craig did, I, I went and visited him in the hospital the day after surgery and I, I get in there. And here's the thing. Portland is self-conscious. Like Portland is all about. Uh, I like to. If you want to know what kind of church door is, I, like, I just. I told Sarah before the, before she got up here to speak. I was trying to distract her so her message would be, not as good as it could be because I knew I had to go up after her. Um, so I just kept talking to it. She tried to look at her camera. I'm like. Hey, so what do you think about that, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, I say, listen, Door, Door of Hope is like we're like a self-conscious, charismatic church. We believe in the gifts, we just don't use them, and that's kind of Portland, really. You know, people are like, I'm gonna raise my hands, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, no, I'm not. You know, like if, like you, you come to Portland, come to Door of Hope. There, nobody's going to applaud for you are guilty till proven innocent like you don't you don't get applause for trying like you it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult city where there's just a, a very and so I always like to say Christians in Portland are like secret society Christians like I have young people like I just found out that my coworker is also a Christian and we've been working together for three years isn't that amazing I'm like no that's lame that's so lame why didn't you know what's wrong with you and then so you know that's that's why the best message i've ever given at door of hope and really the message i wanted to give today was try harder the spiritual path of white knuckling your way up jacob's ladder no i'm just joking (laughs) so i i you know i I, calling people i'm like you can't try harder you're you're failing you're broken you're but what causes us to talk about jesus when we actually recognize how much god loves us and, and it often takes that place, that place of total darkness for us to actually discover the one who became sin that we might become righteousness. That No matter how deep of a hole that we've dug, he goes deeper still, his love goes deeper still. And Craig became a revelation of that for me. I went into that hospital and there he was on his bed and his head was all bandaged up and he's been given the sentence of death. And he just looks at me and he goes, Josh, oh my gosh, I'm so excited that you're here. The nurse comes in, he's only been a believer for six months. The nurse comes in, he goes, hey, this is my pastor. Josh, tell her about Jesus. And I was like, sweet Lord, oh my gosh. Like, what's going on, this guy is, I think they removed a part of his brain that's giving him a filter, which it did, it removed. The filter had been removed. Uh, and you know what? It was the filter of self-consciousness because I walked with that man for the next five years watching cancer eat his body away. Three times they removed tumors from his brain. He almost died of infections. He went septic at one point. And I remember the call that I received from his wife uh, the, the, probably the, the month before he died. They were on a family vacation out in Indiana and visiting their family. And I get a call from Catherine and she said, Craig's back in the hospital. It's back with a vengeance. They're giving him three weeks to live. And their daughters, two of their daughters, their oldest daughters were in Portland at a soccer camp. And, and I said, what, what do you want me to do? And they're like, Craig is scared. He's so scared. And we need our girls here because we don't know if he can get back to Portland and we really need you here. And so I said, I'm getting on a plane. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I'm like, no, I'll get on a plane tonight. So I like booked a ticket and I flew to Indianapolis with his girls. I escorted them out there. And this was like so powerful. I stood in that room as Catherine and Craig told their girls that their daddy three girls. At that time, they were 15, 12, and eight, I think, eight or nine. Your dad's gonna die in a few weeks. And I watched them weep and I felt like a voyeur. I'm like, what am I doing in this room? How is this even happening? And it, but it was, there was something so beautiful about it because Craig, of course, he said, I need you to bring, I need you to bring your guitar because um, uh, uh, I'm like, all right. And, and so the girls left the room and I was left alone with Craig and I just had witnessed this. Like I was so floored and I was frustrated. I'm like, Lord, I believe you can heal. I saw you heal. Like why, would you, why won't you heal him? Why can't you heal him? Maybe, maybe I don't have the faith. Maybe I should be a cessationist. But why, why aren't you healing him? And it was like the Lord spoke to me in that moment Treasures of darkness, because the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being daily renewed. And I walked over to that bed, and Craig looked at me, and he started crying, and he said, I'm scared. And I go, I know you're scared, but Craig, the Lord loves you, and I want you to finish the race. Encourage is not the ability to avoid fear. It's the ability to confront it and to know that I am not alone. You see, grace is God's one-way love toward us. But that one-way love is not a feeling that God projects toward us. It's God meeting us himself in his son, the wounded healer. He meets us. And Craig revealed, it was like he just needed me there to be a conduit of grace to him so that he could be the true conduit of grace into my life. Because believe me, Grace made sense after Craig passed because I watched him in those next couple days. So here's the thing, I, and I'm not gonna go long because I know you guys have had a long day. But here's we're we're sitting in the hospital and Craig's like, he could barely talk at this point. He was so sick, and he's like, he's like, hey, like, Can you played me a song, so I'd play him some more songs. I wrote him this song called Sweet Peace. He'd make me play it every time I'd finish the song. He'd go, that was awesome. And then he, and then he's like. We play Neil Diamond? i <laughs> like, all right. So I play, play Neil Diamond. Yeah, we play U2. And we were, it was like a sing-along. And then before long, the joy, Craig was so funny. He was like such an, uh, he, he, he exuded beauty. He exuded the living Christ where the nurses, you guys, do we believe when Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do we believe that? Do we believe when we talk about Jesus, when two or more are gathered in my name, I mean, we often talk about him as if he's watching us from above. I think the goal of the gospel is not to get us out of hell, to get us into heaven, but to get God back into the human heart so that we can enter into living relationship with him and be transformed into the likeness of Christ as we do what Luther said, casting ourselves in naked trust upon his mercy. And you see, that's all Craig could do. He's never gonna walk his girls down the aisle. He's never going to make love to his wife again. In fact, the only thing his wife was able to do for him at that point was to change his diaper. This is a marathon runner. This is a man who had everything go. They're the, two of the most respected pediatricians in the Northwest. And yet, his, everything that mattered to him in this world was being taken from him. And it was through that treasure of darkness, that he became one of the most powerful conduits that Jesus is alive, that he is a good Savior, that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the first time I ever believed death is not the end. It's the first time I really believed that the Holy Spirit actually does something supernatural in us. Because Craig, the people would, the, the nurses would actually bring the other patients in ICU that were dying to sit in the doorway while I sang, and Craig laughed and cracked jokes. When the, one of the most powerful moments was this, this beautiful black nurse comes into the room, and Craig has messed his pants. And, and she has to change him, and she has to give him a sponge bath in bed. And I just want you to know, Craig would love it that I'm telling you this story. Uh, he would. I'm not dishonoring his memory by doing this. I'm honoring it because, man, the outward man is perishing. And as he is having his little whittling away body, naked and exposed, how most of us, I mean, what's the most fear? What's the classic fearful thing when you, to imagine, having a dream that you're speaking to a group of people naked? I mean, that's a horrible dream. You know, we're so self-conscious about what we wear. I mean, Sarah made me feel self-conscious about having nice shoes. I, we're, this is, this is a hard time. This is, we want people to like us so desperately. And here's this man, has nothing. Dirty, naked. And while she rolled him over to his side and exposed his backside to sponge bath, he looked over his shoulder and he goes, my God, you're beautiful. (laughs) And he didn't say it in a way that was like flirty. It was like he thought she was beautiful. He was a reflection of Jesus to her in that moment. You know what's powerful as this woman, we didn't know she was a believer. She began to sing this old gospel hymn over him as she bathed him. Powerful intersection of grace where God's love becomes revealed in this moment where this man who's being whittled away is, there he is, being loved on by this woman. And he's like, you're so beautiful. And she's just like, honey, you are the one that's beautiful. Craig was able to get home. I had to drive his daughter's home. And By the way, but at that time, I had, I had hair down to... Here and a giant beard and I, I just look like a really really good white Jesus and uh, um, and I I was driving there's <laughs> their girls uh, it um, back and it was pretty crazy because I had to drive them back to Portland and I drove them straight from Indianapolis back to Portland I think I did it in like Forty hours or something—less than that. It was like twenty-four hours or something crazy. And I remember I got pulled over for speeding. And I, and their girls, uh, Catherine's half Chinese, and so the girls clearly are not my children. And this cop pulled me over in the middle of the night. I'm just like this wild-eyed, tattooed, <laughs> Jesus-looking guy, and like, and then, and the cops like flash the flashlight. And Chelsea's really dry, and she's sitting in the front. She was super tired. So and he's like. I'm like, I'm, I'm so sorry, officer, was I speaking as you were really speeding. Um, I mean, I want to talk about law breaking. I was, I cared nothing for the law. I was just trying to get these girls back home. Um, and, and, and he's like, I'm like, they're, they're, I'm, their dad's dying of cancer and I'm driving them across the U.S. And he looked at me like, there's no way. She, he's like, is that true, ma'am? And then she's like, she just sat there. And I'm like. Chelsea, what are you doing? (laughs) And she goes, oh, oh, yeah, 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 it's fine. I'm like, sweet Lord, I'm gonna get arrested too. (laughs) So I get him back and their dad, they they come, they get back to Portland, they make it back. They actually were able to drive Craig back. They rented a van where they could lay him down to get him back to Portland. And I was with him the day that he died. It's the first time I, I watched someone physically pass from this world and enter the next. It, and, and I remember we were around. He'd gone into a coma, and we sang around his bed and just singing songs of worship and gratitude over him. You know it was powerful? How powerful is this witness? The way that Craig even testified to the presence of Jesus while he was in a coma is that his own father came to faith watching his son die because he died well. The gospel of grace is God making himself known in our brokenness, in our suffering. He loves us. He loves you. As I shared in the film, and some people said, this is my favorite line of the film, is just that on your worst stinking day, he's crazy about you. He can't love you more and he can't love you less. What does Augustine say? He loves each one of you as if you're the only ones to love. And do we not understand, we we don't go around and bash people over their heads with an iron scepter. The kingdom of God is like a kingdom of little children where the Father invites us to climb up into his lap and not be ashamed. Where he invites us to celebrate the life that we have in his son, and we are broken, and we are big messes, no doubt about it. But Jesus loves us, and he loves you, each one of you, He knows you not because he knows everything. He knows you because he cares about you. Everything about God, everything about the gospel is relational. Do we understand that? If sin is the destruction of relationship in three directions, the gospel is about the Son of God restoring relationship in three directions. Craig met the living Jesus. And because of that, as I say, God's love is elective. He met Craig in his sin but God's love is also purifying and when we accept his love, it transforms us into his likeness where the light that reveals us in also becomes the light that conceals. And what we saw in Craig was not his sinfulness, but we saw Jesus in this man who was dying because the love of God is creative. It is so good. Jesus loves you guys. He loves you. He said this, is the work of God. That we believe in Him whom He has sent. What is our work? How do we have a faith that works? We continue to cast ourselves in dependence upon the very presence of Jesus Christ. That we might be transformed into His likeness. Live with an awareness that God is with you and He is for you. For it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys.